Hello and welcome to This Won't Teach You Anything. This is episode 14. Hope everyone is doing well, has had a uh, good uh, last couple of weeks since the last show came out. Hope you enjoyed the last show with Sean Kennedy. As I'm sure you can tell if you listen to these shows where I have guest co-hosts, I love talking entertainment, movies, etc. with uh, my good friends. It just is something that uh, we can go on and on and on about. As you can tell by the couple episodes on here that stretch past two hours. Don't plan it that way. It just uh, gets lost in time. So what do we have going on in the world right now? COVID-wise, vaccines are uh, taking a foothold, being given uh, at a a greater rate than they were, which is uh, hopefully good news going forward. We are seeing states ease restrictions in uh, opening things back up. We just had the Super Bowl. Uh, Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl trophy, which if you follow sports, uh, NFL in particular, that is just absolutely insane. And we actually had fans at the Super Bowl. So, uh, as I've mentioned before, in August 2021 here, my wife and I do have tickets to catch uh, Lady Gaga at Wrigley Field in uh, late August. Show's still on for now. We'll see. I'm sure that things may change before uh, August 21st, but uh, am, am really anxious to get back to uh, live concerts, live events. Uh, and actually, uh, you know, aside from the obvious uh, fears, you know, really looking forward to getting into a movie theater again and, you know, w- with people. So hopefully uh, people take this vaccine. They don't get uh, sick from it. Uh, as some people are saying, that it may be a possibility. You know, it's it's tough with with not as much data. It's really tough to say exactly. You know, some of these people who've had adverse reactions, what's causing it? So, uh, enough about that. Let's disappear back into the entertainment world. So, uh, this show we're going to be talking about uh, villains in in the movies and different types of villains and. What that, who are the good villains, what makes a good villain, uh, that type of thing. So let's get to it. <laughs> if you listen to the show or you know me, then it's obvious where I'm going to start with this. Darth Vader. Darth Vader is one of the most iconic villains in movies uh, still today or, you know, ever. What makes Darth Vader a good villain? Well, when he came out in the original Star Wars, which at the time, as we mentioned before, was just called Star Wars, later changed to Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4. Darth Vader's main selling point, at least to me, was the guy looked badass. The breathing that Ben Burt came up with, the overall design of the character the voice of James Earl Jones and the performance on film of David Prowse all combined together made arguably the most iconic bad guy in movie history. Now Vader ended up being a well-rounded 
character with an interesting backstory and redemption arc. In 1977, in his first film appearance, that wasn't the case. He was basically the muscle to an overarching uh, empire who we never saw the person pulling the strings in the movie. So Vader was a very, at that point, cool looking bad guy, but not a very deep bad guy. You really need to get into the other films to understand Vader's motivation. Uh, When you get into the empire strikes back, the next film, it had one of the biggest realizations, spoiler alert. um, One of the biggest, uh, Oh my God moments uh, in movies up to that point, which was the fact that he was Luke Skywalker's father. Nobody, uh, nobody saw that coming. Even during filming, the actors didn't know that. Uh, I believe Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, uh, the actual line that, that David Prowse, because he did speak the lines in the, while they were filming, because James Earl Jones did the overdub, uh, in the ADR recording afterwards, uh, the the actual words that were spoken instead of the effect of uh, "No, Luke, I am your father." It was did o- basically did Obi Wan tell you what happened to your father? And Luke Skywalker in the film, this is what happens in the film, says he told me enough. He told me you killed him, and. Vader replies, no, Luke, I am your father. Well, on set, to keep things a secret, I believe what was done was the lines that David Prowse had in the script uh, were not, no, Luke, I am your father. It was, no, he killed your father. So, uh, still shocking, but not giving away the big twist. So, not even the, the actor's knew that Vader was uh, Luke and Leia's father. So just an interesting tidbit. But it did take other movies to fully flesh out the backstory and to really make uh, cement Vader in in his motivations. Another type of villain that you run into or have run into over the years in films is the horror movie villain. And kind of... Uh, you know, the centerpiece of a lot of these films take, for instance, the Friday, the 13th series, uh, Jason Voorhees, which spoiler, a little bit of trivia. If you've never seen or, or didn't put together or realize in the first Friday, the 13th, Jason wasn't the killer, but it has a backstory about Jason who was thought drowned by bullies. Um, he has the, the, the background of kind of a, uh, a revenge killer, he was bullied by other kids at this camp and thought to have drowned. His mother goes on this killing rampage and ends up dying. And so the subsequent film, it's Jason uh, terrorizing this campground, uh, this Camp Crystal Lake. So his motivations, revenge, uh, and, you know, really supernatural as, as it would come to be from that point, uh, almost impossible to kill. If you go through the history of those movies and some are more ridiculous than others, uh, the guy just doesn't die no matter what you do. But people who enjoy horror films or iconic slasher films, 
don't even care. You leave, you leave logic at the door and you go in if that's your thing and you have a good time with, with the film and, and you want to see Jason hacking up counselors at camp crystal Lake or on the streets of Manhattan or in space. Uh, however, if it's, if it's your thing, you enjoy it and you just, uh, again, leave reality and logic at the door. Uh, another, uh, character kind of in that same vein, uh, Freddy Krueger, uh, in the original script, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard sell because of the kind of the, the, the more comedic and caricature version of Freddy Krueger that evolved when Robert England played him through the, the course of the series at the beginning, the original nightmare on Elm street, you didn't see a lot of Freddy and it was, that can be a lot more terrifying than actually having him on film all the time because it's just, you become numb to the effect. Oh, look at his burned skin and, and all this. And he goes on to be, you know, making a lot of jokes during the kills. And that kind of became the thing. Uh, ironically enough, he does run into Jason and you have Freddie versus Jason, which was a slug fest that, that fans of the both series were, were clamoring for, for years. But Freddie, his backstory was he was uh, a serial killer known as the Springwood Slasher, and basically was a, a child killer. In the original script, uh, I believe Wes Craven had, had made him a child molester. So they changed it to a child killer because at the time of the filming around that area, there was a series of child molestations going on and didn't really want to um, draw comparisons or, or take advantage of, of that situation. Freddie's backstory a little more complicated and, and just you could tell made to be that kind of horror movie backstory of a killer. Um, his mother was uh, a nun that was raped by um, uh, people in an asylum. You know, I don't know if inmates is the right word, but uh, locked in there in this asylum and, 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 you know, as a, as a story goes, they say uh, the bastard son of of a thousand maniacs, and so uh, he was uh, born adopted by an abusive alcoholic guy, and um, brought up, you know, in, in a terrible uh, a, a way of raising a child. Did the sur- the 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 stereotypical things that you hear about serial killers doing killed the class hamster started cutting himself, uh, did get married, have a daughter, but he was that guy that just under the, uh, under the covers, he was the guy that had the secret room and, uh, and then was arrested for killing kids, uh, around Springwood, the fictional town of Springwood, um, went to trial and eventually the, the parents of the kids he murdered trapped him and, and burned him alive. So the interesting thing about Freddie is he goes ahead and uh, again with the supernatural twist starts to murder current kids, teenagers in Springwood in their dreams. So that's interesting and it makes it something different than, than what had been seen before kind of a boogeyman uh, type of feel and, you know, gave a whole generation, kids, uh, teenagers, young teenagers, um, uh, 
anxiety, I'm sure, falling asleep and, and doing that because the thing was he couldn't hurt you if you were awake. So in the movies, you had stories of kids cutting their eyelids off to try and stay awake and not wanting to fall asleep. He could only get you while you were sleeping. There were caveats as the movies went on and in, in a lot of regards got more ridiculous, more leaning towards dark humor uh, while still slasher films. Uh, disturbing through and through uh, Freddy's backstory, again, uh, different from Jason's. and uh, But neither one, you know, relatively deep as far as as their films and whatnot, when you can make a, a ton of movies to where it's just kind of the same thing over and over and over, kill him, and he's back in the next film. To me, um, worth a watch. Not my favorite films ever, but not uh, it can't be argued that these characters are not iconic in, in film. Uh, the last one kind of in that vein that I'm going to cover is uh, Michael Myers from Halloween. What makes Michael Myers kind of a, a, a different uh, animal would be the fact that uh, he, he basically killed his uh, older sister and was put in an asylum, gets out and goes to kill his other sister. And it just, he's, he is just dangerous. And just from that, his mere presence, like Jason doesn't really talk, uh, just has a huge imposing figure. And again, with these, these budgets of some of these films, you know, what to do to make these guys, uh, scary and intimidating. His mask that's iconic. And I keep saying that word this episode, but it's true is actually a captain Kirk mask that the eyes were cut whiter in and painted white, uh, and the hair kind of ruffled up, but it's actually, yeah, William Shatner, um, latex mask off the shelf. And so that's where, uh, that overalls in a, huge imposing figure and a big sharp knife is what uh, Michael's Michael Myers was about uh, with, with really a great performance by uh, the fabulous Jamie Lee Curtis. You can't go ahead and, and, and push aside Michael Myers and in his role uh, in, in movie history, especially when the film he's the star of, is called Halloween. Now, interesting again about Michael Myers is Halloween was rebooted later on by Rob Zombie, made two films, and then here just within the last couple of years, you had a continuation of the original Halloween movie with Jamie Lee Curtis returning, and that one I did I did enjoy a lot, and they're they're coming back with a sequel to that one. Hopefully it uh, stays true to kind of the, the really um, edge of your seat type of thing that I think they pulled off really well in uh, the last Halloween movie. Now getting away from the slasher type thing, but staying within the horror genre, an interesting, and I don't know if villain is the right word, victim villain, if there's such a thing like that. I want to talk about Reagan McNeil. And if that name doesn't sound familiar, uh, maybe the name just Reagan does. Reagan was the possessed 
young girl in The Exorcist. So you see that while her body and her words are on film seem to be the villain, it's actually the demon Azazel that is inhabiting her and needs to be expelled, but still disturbing as all get out. Uh, always mentioned near the top horror films of all time, if not the top. And what makes it so disturbing is the fact that this young girl uh, with, with the situation she's put in and her head spinning around, just really dark things that, you know, no one to that point had seen or experienced on film. And it, that's why it was so terrifying. A lot of the special effects these days are, are not uh, up to par, but still the psychological component uh, makes uh, Reagan McNeil and, and Linda Blair's performance of her a, a memorable quote unquote bad guy. So that's a, a different type of villain, but still uh, a combination villain, I guess maybe. So moving along, then you have people, villains that are based on real people. And, and again, I've mentioned, I've seen this film once, but the, the, the impact that it leaves is something that for those of you who've seen it know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's Schindler's list and the bad guy in that based on a, a, a real, real historical villain uh, is a character uh, by the name of Amon Guta. And I, you know, the, the pronunciation on that, I probably butchered a little bit, but he was one of those guys that as you watch the film, he's played by uh, Ray Fiennes. Uh, you're just rooting for this guy to die through the whole thing. He is uh, evil and uh, a sociopath incarnate and he cannot die fast enough, at least for my taste. Uh, but that's one of those characters that he's not the, the big slasher or horrifying to look at. It's what he does and what he did over history that, that make him so terrifying that, you know, there were, there were people like this and there are people like this out there. Unfortunately, I'm sure that that are still think about doing these types of things. And it's just, his portrayal is, it's terrifying in a different way and it really makes him scary because he was real. Uh, moving back to uh, fictional villains, but some that I feel uh, have a, a deeper uh, uh, story to them. One I'm going to talk about here is the Joker. Now the Joker from uh, DC comics and in the world of Batman has been portrayed numerous different ways through the years. Um, comic books, TV with the Adam West, Burt Ward kind of campy television show of the sixties. Moving on into uh, the movies. And in the movies, it really has become the type of role that actors really vie for. Jack Nicholson played the Joker in 1989's Tim Burton's uh, Batman film. 
Jack Nicholson at the top of his game. Back then, Academy Award winner. Scene chewer. He was kind of a on edge, you know, with Jack Nicholson in general, you just kind of wait for something uh, scary to happen when he's on film, especially if he's playing a psychotic character. With a side of campiness. Again, the Joker has been called the clown prince of crime, so on and so forth. So having him come off as believable yet kind of and earn that clown makeup, that's a that's a tightrope. It can come off Cesar Romero style from the, the, the show, which is just straight camp, not necessarily feeling that dangerous to Jack Nicholson, who shoots one of his henchmen just for nothing. So... There's that edge, Jack Nicholson. There was no hiding that it was Jack Nicholson playing the Joker, which is one of the big selling points of that film. If you could could have got Jack Nicholson uh, in your film, especially playing the Joker, that that is going to draw a box office in 1989. Then you have Heath Ledger uh, playing the Joker in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. And I'm sorry, in the dark Knight, the second of Christopher Nolan's, uh, bat trilogy. Uh, he earned a posthumous Oscar. He had, uh, passed away before the film came out and it was well, well earned, uh, in, in that version of the Joker, he was completely different than Nicholson's, where there was no backstory given. You're just introduced to this guy. And he explains through the movie that he is basically just chaos. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want anything. He just wants to upend the system. And there's no doubt he would have made another appearance in, in another film had he not passed away because it was one of those types of things where he, he uh, didn't die at the end of the film he was in. So it's it's really tragic that we didn't get to see that character again. But what is on film and in that movie is is just a fantastic character that you don't know a lot about. You just kind of accept that this guy is that this guy's just bad news. And that's what makes him so dangerous is there's just no agenda. He just does things. And he tells you that as much in the film. Then you move into, uh, the later versions of the Joker, which are, uh, Jared Leto's version in the suicide squad. I'm sorry. In suicide squad, the suicide squad is coming up, uh, directed by James Gunn, but it's kind of a reboot, I guess, of, Suicide Squad, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that, but I digress. Jared Leto's version was kind of like a kingpin gangster, glam gangster, you know, covered in tattoos and just a a really odd take. Uh, To me, it seemed like Jared Leto, while a fantastic actor, just tried too hard to distance the portrayal of his Joker from Heath Ledger's and it just for me didn't work. Now just this week we got a glimpse into the fact that he's 
going to appear in Zack Snyder's four-hour Justice League recut that's going to be shown on HBO Max. So he, oddly enough, now has no tattoos, longer hair, uh, looks more like the Heath Ledger version, version of the Joker without the scars, but looks a little bit more intimidating. The photos were in black and white. It appeared he maybe had a straight jacket on, but didn't didn't look like had the fluorescent green hair that he sported in suicide squad. So jury's still out on what's going to happen there. The next version is probably the most disturbing version of the Joker. And that was Joaquin Phoenix's version of the Joker. Um, That movie is not a superhero movie. Uh, Batman is hinted to as a young Bruce Wayne, you see him and, and his father and mother, but Phoenix's portrayal of the Joker hits really close to reality. And you can just see how society is crapped on, uh, this guy, people have crapped on this guy and he's already, not all there socially uh, with social skills and, and mentally, you know what he's gone through. So he's already on the edge and things happen during the movie that just tip him over the edge. And he basically acts out on it and in a really disturbing way, which whether this movie ties into any other DC movies or not, or if it's just its own standalone film it is the most disturbing portrayal disturbing dangerous portrayal of the joker that i personally have seen now one of the more well-rounded uh fleshed out uh villains with a a very um different side to me was thanos in the marvel cinematic universe thanos while being a genocidal uh, maniac actually had a method and thought to what he was trying to do. He had witnessed his home planet become overcrowded and proposed a, a basically a kill off of half the population so that the other half could go ahead and survive and thrive. And it would be completely random. It didn't matter if you were poor, if you were rich, it was luck of the draw for the good of all. And his people on Titan did not go for it, labeled him a maniac and Titan ended up dying off because of overpopulation. Thanos seeing that didn't, you know, didn't accept that, it couldn't be stopped as he saw it on other planets across the galaxy and was able to uh, gain knowledge of the infinity stones that would give him the power to go ahead and basically eliminate half the life in the universe and prevent uh, the fate of his home planet Titan. So it wasn't, you know, sometimes you you see some of these bad guys that are just bad guys made so you hate them and and don't have any real 
strong agenda. Thanos was a guy who saw a problem and in some way thought he was doing the right thing for the good of everyone. Um, and so it, it made him a really complex uh, character that had, that experienced loss. Uh, his, his adopted daughter, you know, he had to sacrifice her to go ahead and, and fulfill what he called his destiny of, of bringing balance to the universe. And it wasn't, he wasn't going to rule the universe. He was going to do this, this job that he had pointed to himself and that was it. And then go and basically retire. He wasn't going to seek power or anything. So, uh, again, just a really complex villain, uh, especially, you know, for a lot of people who don't watch Marvel movies, they call them comic book movies. If you haven't seen the, uh, the Marvel movies, and I can't imagine that you're, you would listen to a podcast like this and never have seen these movies. But the, the Thanos arc, the uh, Infinity arc in this uh, Marvel universe is just, it's really well done. And Thanos as a character and Josh Brolin's portrayal are, are, are just on the money. <laughs> now, there are plenty other villains that I'm sure that you're thinking, man, he didn't even mention this guy or that gal. If you want to go ahead and talk villains, you want to mention somebody that you think I missed or just talk about in general, send it to me in one of the following ways on Twitter at this won't teach Instagram at this underscore won't underscore teach underscore you underscore anything email. This won't teach at gmail.com Facebook at this won't teach. So Go ahead and drop a, a review, rate the show, subscribe. I really appreciate it. Do you want to say hi to uh, someone, a listener I met this past weekend, Sherilyn? Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on This Won't Teach You Anything.